Welcome one and all to episode 120 of the original Giraffe Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight from sunny Florida, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, you're on vacation, but you're making time for the show. We appreciate it as always. And then, well, you're in ACC country, so why not preview the Atlantic Coast Conference this week? Yeah, exactly. You know, just because I'm taking a break from my day job doesn't mean that we take a break from the show the show must go on um, before we get into, into ACC talk we should mention the big news that's coming out of college football and that is that uh, Texas and Oklahoma took the first step today in, in joining the SEC so it is the wheels looked like they were in motion and now it's like a sure thing that it's going to happen and it looks like no later than 2025 if I'm reading this correctly so my read on this is, and people can uh, email us at the draft breakdown podcast at gmail.com or, or tweet us at db underscore pod and let me know if I'm wrong. But my read on it is they may be trying to get into the SEC sooner, but it would be no later than uh, after the 2025 season based on the paperwork that was turned in today. So uh, that's huge. That's huge news. We'll talk more about that on uh, in the future, I'm sure. But we wanted to kick off the show this week by mentioning the biggest news that we have in college football. Oklahoma, Texas, two uh, big-time programs. You know, Texas hasn't been quite the blue blood it used to be. But two big-time programs now moving to the SEC. And that's going to see – we'll see what kind of uh, ripple effect that has and what kind of effect that has on other conferences. If they try to expand, what what's going to happen with the Big Ten? Are they going to make some moves, try and bring some teams in? A lot of uh, – I expect there to be a lot of dominoes to follow after this. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see if the Big 12 can even hang on after this because, like you said, you're you're losing basically the the most historic of those two fr- or two schools, and instead you're going to have. I mean, maybe Iowa State challenges for a. Uh, a college football playoff spot, but realistically you have a bunch of schools that don't matter or factor into the college football playoffs every single year. And that's, that's difficult. Uh, that makes it really difficult to, to compete. And I just don't think that's anything you can, there's nothing that you can do as a conference to really mess with that or, or fix that. Um, so you end up, so you end up being, an afterthought. I mean, think about the ACC before Clemson rose back to power. I mean, they were hoping that the influx of Miami and Virginia Tech were going to really help, but it just never, it just never took. And, and now, you know, until Clemson rose back to power, uh, it was, it was really just Florida state at that point. And, the ACC was kind of a laughing stock as well, and and now you're seeing it with the Pac-12. I mean, it's 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 tough for these conferences when they don't have a big dog um, to to function. And I mean, this is the equivalent of Ohio State leaving the Big Ten. Um, there's no, I mean, obviously there's no team of the Pac-12 right now that has the same juice as Oklahoma. But this is the equivalent of, of Ohio State or Clemson leaving their respective conferences. And, and I guess uh, those conferences should be careful not to uh, lose those teams because if you, if Clemson left the ACC, if Ohio State left the Big Ten, if they were enticed into making, I don't know, some kind of SEC super conference uh, – then those those conferences are going to have a will have a hard time uh, getting representation in the college football playoffs. So good segue by you to mention Clemson and mention the ACC because that's what we're really talking about tonight. Uh, that's the main topic for this week's shows, and uh, Clemson remains the cream of the crop in the ACC, but they have a new starting quarterback. His name is DJ Uyunglele. 
or we will call him DJU so that we don't continue to flop the pronunciation. We promise by the time he is draft eligible in a couple of years, we will nail that down. But six straight college football playoff appearances for Clemson. Can the freshman, or I guess he's a sophomore, can he, uh, as a first-year starter, keep that streak alive? We saw Trevor Lawrence do it, and DJU, one of the most highly recruited prospects, a very big guy, 6'5", over 240 pounds. They have a week one matchup against Georgia, which is a really good big boy matchup for the first week of, of uh, college football season. That game will take place in Charlotte, North Carolina at a neutral site so-called neutral site and after that Clemson's got their typical uh, cupcake ACC schedule or at least they've made it look like a cupcake schedule over the years uh, they don't have to play Notre Dame during the regular season again this year like they did last year that was a uh, one speed bump that they had so it looks like again they have a clear path to that ACC championship game and again to the college football playoff if they win that game. Yeah, and it just feels like this is Clemson's, you know, next iteration. Uh, we're talking about you know another potential first round quarterback. We're talking about multiple uh, first round draft picks coming out this year. Uh, they've got you know talent all over the place. You know even even with Justin Ross coming off an injury, he's you know been projected on some sites to be a top uh, thirty two pick. Uh, you know they'll have a couple corners in, in that are draft eligible that should be taken the first two rounds. Um, they've got a couple defensive linemen that you know are generating some buzz. I mean they're just again loaded with talent um, on both sides of the ball. They're a little bit younger this year, um, which may be the big deal going against Georgia in week one, which could potentially impact a college football berth or a college football playoff berth in the sense of if you lose to Georgia in week one and then you have a slip up in the ACC despite being the best team. Um, a two-loss Clemson team, especially with one of those losses to Georgia's, is basically impossible to bring in uh, to the college football playoffs, uh, at least on paper or this early. Uh, obviously, that can change later on if you know Oklahoma has two losses and the SEC champion has two losses. But it just seems like Clemson – has room their margin for error is one as long as it's either that Georgia game or one loss in the ACC to once again be the cream of the crop in in the ACC yeah I agree with you I think they have uh it's a one loss situation if they have one loss and they win that championship game in their conference they'll get to the playoff if they lose two games or if they, you know, for whatever reason, especially if they don't make the college or, or their uh, ACC, their conference championship game, then they'll be on the outside looking. And I just don't really see that happening. And we, we talked about it on our Patreon show and we talked about the uh, preseason post-spring top 10 uh, teams, according to ESPN. And Clemson just seems to have a really clear path once again, especially if all these guys live up to their hype. If DJ... Uh, if Ross returns, if Will Shipley, their freshman running back, looks good. They've got a couple of defensive ends uh, that, that missed some time last year. And they, they had some situations with COVID, but those guys are expected back and healthy. So they've got some veterans on the defensive side of the ball to help balance out some of the new faces that you see on offense. And I think they're going to be a really good team again. And I, I would not be surprised in the least if they... I, I would favor them over Georgia at this point. I'm not I'm not for sure what the line is, but I just like the potential of the Clemson offense against that Georgia team, even though you know Georgia we know is going to have a formidable defense. North Carolina State's number two in the um, Atlantic. Atlantic. They get quarterback Devin Leary back from a, a leg injury. Um, this 
I mean, they've got some they've got some nice defensive prospects uh, this coming out this year. But this again, and I feels, think we'll we'll be talking about one of those guys more on our Patreon show this week, right? Yeah, but I, yeah, exactly. And they have, um, you know, defensive linemen. They lost Alan McNeil. They have Corey Dirt in there, six four, three hundred fifteen pounds. And he transferred uh, in from FSU, right? Correct. And then they've got another. Um, they've got some interesting offensive talent. I mean, this is just, it just doesn't feel like a team that you know well enough to take a flyer on to, to pick them over Clemson, right? No, no, I, I, not a chance. Uh, you know, running back Zonovan Knight looks like a good player, and he's going to be a big part of their offense. Um, they've got a couple offensive linemen, like you mentioned, including an offensive tackle, Ikem Ikwonu. But I don't think there's enough firepower to challenge Clemson. And certainly the uh, the college football pundits, the guys that specialize in, in predictions, they don't see it either. Um, interesting, they've got a uh, – their offense is now being led by a play caller, Tim Beck. And he might be a familiar name. He was at Ohio State. And uh, he was kind of much maligned there when he was doing the play calling duties there. But at NC State, he helped improve their offense from 2019 to 2020. So we'll see if that improvement continues or if that offense kind of stagnates and, and plateaus. But I do think the Wolfpack have a pretty good team. But I don't really... I mean, they're not the second best team in the in the ACC. Certainly, that we're we're going to talk about that when we get to the other division. I'm not even so sure that they're I, that I would favor uh, the Wolfpack over the next team down the list here in the Atlantic, and that's Boston College. Yeah, Boston College. Uh, their head coach six and five in his first year. Their non-conference schedule is mostly soft. Mizzou's their top non-conference game. They have to go to Clemson, which is going to be tough, uh, but they return a quarterback who had a good sophomore season. Um, how do you pronounce really, his name? Yeah, it's Phil Jerkovic. And he, Jer- uh, Jerko- Jerkovic. Yeah, there we go. And he had uh, the most completions by, any, by a sophomore in BC history by a lot. By a lot. And uh, his... His average per game was over 250 yards, about 255 yards per game last year. That's the second most yards per game that they've had that program since 1996 when that was Matt Ryan. He threw for over 300 yards a game back then. So uh, Phil Yurkovich is, uh looks like a really quality player, and I know some people like him as, a, as an NFL draft prospect. I mean, we'll, we'll probably go down that road more once we get into the season. But certainly he's he's uh, putting up good college numbers. He's making downfield throws. He's, they've got talented receivers led by Zay Flowers. And I think Jeff Halfley is doing a really good job recruiting there at BC and putting together a good – I think they're going to be a tough program in a couple of years. And they are a hungry group. They've got – the entire team is on the same page as far as where they want to go. Um keeping everybody healthy and keeping everybody involved. And Halfley's, you know, he came, he was at Ohio State for a year, and he definitely knows a thing or two about recruiting. He's also coached in the NFL, I believe, if if I'm not mistaken. Boston College is followed up by former powerhouse Florida State. Um, They are in year two of uh, the, the guy that was at ASU. Gosh, and then at Memphis. I can't remember his name now. It's escaping me. Um, but they bring in a veteran quarterback in McKenzie Milton, who's coming off a devastating injury. That's, I mean, they're – it's an interesting group, I guess. That's the best way to put it because they've not – um, really gotten back to where they were supposed to be after Jimbo left. And 
now they're Mike Norvell. Sorry, that was the coach. Yes, yes. driving me insane. I knew who he was, and I knew all the places. I was gonna, coached. I was gonna let I you, just, <laughs> I was gonna I, let you come back around to that one. Uh, but uh, I knew I had faith in you. I knew. You I, I, I'm surprised that this team hasn't been able to fix the issues since Jimbo left. Um, but. Now they get a guy that was kind of a a, star, a college star. I mean, he wasn't big on the NFL, you know, presence, but he was. Mackenzie Milton was a star in college. Um, is he yeah. enough I mean, to kind of get them back into the bowl picture type of thing? Or, I mean, they were three and six last year. They were really bad. I don't think he's enough to, to get them back into the bowl picture. Or, or I should say, I mean, bowl, bowl games, what is that? You see five and seven teams in the bowl games. The last yeah. year it didn't matter what your record was. I mean, that was unique. But you still see five and seven teams in a normal year making a bowl game. Um, Florida State really downtrodden 21 and 26 over the last four years. Milton was uh, so exciting because of the plays he could make on the go and on the move, and his leg was almost ripped off. I mean, it was a gruesome, gruesome injury. He's battling back. He hasn't played since the end of 2018. Like, he's, he's missed two full seasons. They didn't know if he'd ever play again. I'm glad to see he landed somewhere, and it's really it's pretty cool to see him land at someplace like Florida State, which used to be a big-time program. And he's coming from, uh, you know, Central For- Florida. He went to... High school out in Hawaii, I believe. Cool to see that. I just don't know uh, how much you're going to get out of him for a guy who hasn't played in in uh, well over two years. They've got some other guys that come are coming through from the transfer portal. I'll talk more about one of those guys on on our Thursday show because I think they have some interesting players they're trying to restock with that they got from those from that transfer portal, that's a, a really uh, kind of unique development in college football that we haven't seen in years past that helps teams to restock. I still don't think it's enough. And what's Florida State going to do? Say Milton, uh, they catch lightning in a bottle with Milton this year. What are they going to do after this year? You know, he's in his, like, sixth year of college because of the injuries. What are they going to do next year? They haven't been able to solve that problem. Norvell's got his work cut out for him. And you see these... Sometimes these coaches, um, and it seems like quite a few of them have landed in, in the ACC with Norvell, you know, Justin Fuente, and some of these other guys, they, uh, they end up with a bigger job than, it's not too big for their coaching ability, but it might be too big for their recruiting ability. So they're going to have to figure out something. And Florida State's just had a, a tough run. Like you said, Jimbo came in and, and got them a national championship, but they just haven't been able to regain the past glory of the Bobby Bowden years. Next, we have Louisville, who, again, feels like a school that has just continued to fall further and further down every every season. Um, well, the, the disappointing thing about Louisville, I think, is that they went 8-5 and five in 2019, and then they went 4-7 and seven last year. So you see the, the drop-off in year two with Scott Satterfield as their head coach. He came over from App State, from Appalachian State. Or is it Appalachian State? Yeah. Somebody's going to nitpick that. But Satterfield is, you know, he started out 8-5, and five, now 12-12. Twelve and 12. We saw regression from their quarterback, Malik Cunningham. He went, uh, his yards per attempt went from 11.6 down to 8.6. 8.6 is still pretty good, but the INTs uh, up from five to twelve last year. And yeah, he also that's he also he also had three fumbles. They have nothing in the quarterback position. That uh, Jawan got- Pass left for Townsend. Luke McCaffrey wow. went to Nebraska, um, or came from Nebraska, and then yes. went to Rice. Um, so they they literally have nothing in the program at this point. That's. Uh, that's a problem, and then what did McCaffrey do? He just kind of cruise through town, maybe 
pot, a couple yeah, of right. local bourbons. And uh, <laughs> I'm saying that because that's what I did the other day when I went through Louisville. But uh, <laughs> Cunningham's it, man. He's got to he's got to regain that form. Uh, well, I and, think and, there's and there's even more pressure because they lost their top two receivers. Um, and they're running back Javian Hawkins, big time. Yeah, so I mean they're basically a terrible Stuck. team. I shouldn't say that. A bad team in 2020 lost all of their playmakers and didn't upgrade at any positions. It's going to be tough, man. This is a this is an odd year um anyways in in the ACC, but this is just kind of what we were joking about with uh, Clemson. I mean, there's nothing in front of them. Uh, there's no reason for them not to be the team this year because unless a team just puts it all together, they just there's no competition yet. They've got uh, a transfer, interesting transfer. Shy Wirtz is coming in, and he was a quarterback at his last college. I believe it was Georgia State. It was either Georgia State or Georgia Southern. Apologize for not knowing that. But uh, Wirtz comes in. He's going to maybe help add some veteran presence to that receiver group after they lost Tutu Atwell and Des Fitzpatrick. But, um, yeah, it's you know it, it really a lot rides on Cunningham. And Satterfield has his work cut out for him in year three. And it's not really a good thing when you see the coach start out decent, decently in year one and then take a step back. But I think a lot of us really need to um, – give some people the benefit of the doubt for for 2020 and the way it went down because it was you know we talked we mentioned hawkins and hawkins was having a great year but then he saw that you know the team wasn't playing well he he took advantage of the opportunity to opt out and did so and got and tried to get himself ready for the nfl draft didn't work out too well for him as he went undrafted but um you still see where that would be a difficult situation for any coach you know, there was just there was just a lot of uncertainty week to week with all of the COVID stuff and all the testing, and we all hope that everybody is in a better place this year and that that kind of thing works works out a lot more smoothly, so we can get more of a read on how these guys really are. And uh, I think Cunningham does have a lot of talent, and Louisville could possibly. I, I think they they've got them fifth in this division. I, I do expect they'll be better uh, record-wise this year than they were last year, but that's not saying much. Wake Forest is next. Dave Clawson's in his eighth season, which is amazing. He's 40 and 45. It's, again, another team that's got question marks more than answers. Um, the they offense the quarterback. Their quarterback's coming back. Yeah, the offense wasn't bad last year with, uh, what, Sam Hartman? I Sam Hartman, yep. Yeah, and then Ja'Quarry Rob- Roberson is not a bad name to know. He had 62 uh, receptions last year. So we'll see how that works out. But, um, you know, what are they – are they going to be able to stop people consistently – that's a that's a question they've, you know, had every year. They they gave up thirty three points per game last year. So <laughs> they do have a defensive tackle, uh, Miles Fox, a defensive lineman, who had ten and a half tackles for loss last year. So they need him to step up. Um, go back and to talk about Boogie Basham, the you know a second round yeah. pick this year, and he's yeah he's not going to be able to replace Basham. Um, just playing a different, you know, a different role. But uh, we'll go back and talk about Jaquari Roberson. Jeez, I did it too. We'll talk about Jaquari Roberson. I had originally uh, earmarked him to talk about on Thursday, but I have uh, some different names for us on Thursday. So we'll talk about him now. You mentioned 62 catches, 926 yards, and eight touchdowns in just nine games. Uh, he's a, a he's a fifth-year senior. I don't know how they're going to designate that this year. He could still technically be a redshirt junior based on the NCAA's uh, extra year of eligibility. 6'1", 182, so physically not an imposing figure, but 
He is a guy who's expected to run sub 4-5 and obviously very productive in a year where they didn't have all the firepower they expected to have. Um, Wake also lost their transfer running back to Michigan State this year, and so they're going to have to replace somebody in the backfield as well. Uh, Onward to Syracuse, the last place projection for this Atlantic Conference. And I actually find Syracuse a little bit... They, they were terrible, 1-10 last year. It was uh, dropped Dino Baber's record to 24-36. and 36. But despite their futility last year, I actually find them a little bit more interesting than some of these other teams. But that's mainly because they're returning 10 starters on defense. So that's... Uh, even if they're not all top-notch, you, you have a more cohesive unit going into this year. And they are also getting a quarterback, Garrett Schrader, who's transferring in from Mississippi State. And this is a guy 6'4", about 200 pounds, a little over 200. And he's a player that he's coming over to Syracuse to compete to start at quarterback. But he was a player that Mississippi State had actually started playing in different roles and on special teams. So he's a really athletic guy. He runs well. He rushed he passed for over a thousand yards and rushed for over 500 yards when he was a freshman at mississippi state he's coming over he's going to be a redshirt sophomore but he has uh i believe he's graduated and has a couple years of eligibility left to play for syracuse so if he can win the starting quarterback job that'll be interesting i think he uh gives them an opportunity to improve on offense and gives them a little bit of spark that's the atlantic in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Now, the Coastal in the Atlantic Coast Conference starts with UNC. Mac Brown's got North Carolina on the precipice of being a college football playoff team. Um, they've, they return Heisman hopeful and potential first-round draft pick Sam Howell, who in his first two seasons in the uh, at UNC has the most – touchdown passes in ACC history, which is kind of crazy to think about, right? Most It's most touchdown passes for a guy after his first two years. But, yeah, uh, you think of all the quarterbacks that passed through, especially the last two for Clemson, and Hal has eclipsed their passing, uh, their passing touchdowns after their first two years. And he's already tied the school record. Of it's 68 right now. He's tied with Darian Durant for the UNC school record. So after two years, Sam Howell, his first touchdown of this year, he will become UNC's all-time leading touchdown passer. So definitely an accomplished guy coming into his third year. And we've talked about it on previous shows, uh, on uh, both on this feed and on the Patreon site. But Howell is getting Baker Mayfield comparisons. He has been blessed. By big draft, he is a player who you have to expect coming into this year is considered a first rounder in a lot of in a lot of people's uh, books. Yeah, we've talked about North Carolina quite a bit, so we won't spend a ton of time on them. But losing your uh, top two running backs and top two wide receivers, the the pressure's on how to live up to the expectations at this point. And I really do think it can be a make-or-break year for him in the sense of if he puts up good numbers again, he doesn't even have to put up great numbers, but if he puts up good numbers again, I think he solidifies himself as a day-one prospect. Um, if he really falls off, and I mean really falls off, uh, then you kind of go back to the, well, he was carried by those guys. Um, you know, And so that's, that's what makes it tough. Miami's number two. Derek King is in year 23 in college <laughs> football, I believe. He's um, played for like, I think he's played for like six or seven teams at this point. Yeah, and so I like what they have. Manny Diaz is taking over the defensive coordinator position. In addition got, to his head coaching responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. They've got some talent, but. They're still not the U. Right. And and they lose uh, Jalen Phillips. They lose Gregory Rousseau. And, you know, Manny Diaz must have watched. He watched that UNC game where 
Michael Carter and Javante Williams just tore through Miami's defense like it was a wet paper bag. And he decided enough was enough, and he was taking matters into his own hands. So he's like hell-bent on making sure to leave his mark on that defense. So whatever he can, whatever kind of energy he can inject into that defense, it was sorely lacking by the end of last season where they were just getting shredded. And it was pretty embarrassing to uh, for those two running backs. Not that those guys aren't good players. They're both, uh, Williams was second round pick and Carter went, went early, early in the fourth round. So nothing to sneeze at, but you've got to, do better than giving up, you know, almost 600 yards rushing to two guys in a single game. That was really something to behold, and it was really something when we were talking about the draft and 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 uh, so many of the highlights shown were of those two running backs during that game. It was just uncanny how they just ripped through that defense. Virginia Tech, uh, Justin Fuente, he's. I mean, I liken this to what we've seen at Florida State and, and Texas. I mean, Votek wasn't on their level, but since Frank Beamer left, it's been it's been an uphill battle. Nineteen and eight in Fuente's first two years and in his and since then, in the last three seasons, nineteen and eighteen. So just going in the wrong direction. Uh, we saw they had a quarterback, Hendon Hooker, transferred out. He went to Tennessee. They do get quarterback Braxton Burmeister back. They've got a receiver, Trey Turner, who looks like a pretty good player. And they got a tight end named James Mitchell, who looks like a, a good player and a good NFL prospect as well. They also have a defensive end, Amari Barno, who came in. I think he was a Juco guy. He came in. He had six and a half sacks. I like Barno. He's kind of that sleeker, taller, sleeker, uh, Virginia Tech type of defensive end, though, like uh, the guy Daddy Nicholas, if you remember him. You've got to get a little bit more bulk on that guy, bulk him up a little bit, because uh, when you get to the NFL, you can't be rushing rushing the passer at you know, 225, 230 pounds. But Barno looks like a player who can, who can uh, add to his frame. I think this is a I, – I, I just feel like this is a team that's kind of stuck in limbo right now. And I, it's what I meant when I was talking about some of the guys coming from these other conferences. It's not too big for them from a coaching standpoint, but it's the recruiting. And they're not – I don't feel like these guys – like in Fuente's case, he's getting the buy-in for this program like Frank Beamer used to get. Frank Beamer had Virginia Tech on another level. It's very tough to follow in somebody like that's uh, footsteps and you can't it's when you go from 19 and 8 and now you're 19 and 18 with your own recruits, not a good sign. They've got to do better and I don't think that that's in the cards for them. They just seem like a 500 team or slightly over 500 team to me. Pitt Pat Narduzzi talking about a guy that's, you know, struggled to get keep things going. Year seven, six and five, five and five last year. Um, offense was bad. They were 13th in yards, averaging 380 yards per game. 13th out of 15 ACC teams. Um, Pitt just, again, another team that's, as you said, continued to struggle to find kind of players to to be those those pit guys. I mean, it it's just an interesting way to look at things because you expect Pitt to be a tough, hard nosed team, um, be able to grind you know, grind out, run the ball. They were a terrible rushing team last year. Defensively, they were okay, but they lost a lot of juice up front. That's going to, you know, that's going to cause some issues and, and leave you with some questions um, heading into, you know, another season. And, and Narduzzi, if he's not careful, is going to end up 
you know, as a 500 coach uh, after eight seasons at, at Pitt. They get a fifth-year starting quarterback back. And, I mean, it's his fifth year as a starter. That's unheard of <laughs> because of the, the COVID rules. But Kenny Pickett's back. As you mentioned, uh, and they have a, a receiver, Jordan Addison, who I believe is a true sophomore. And he looks like a player who, uh, you know, maybe c- can get into that Tyler Boyd role that they used to have success running the offense through him. Defense is going to be this team's strength. You mentioned that losses up front. Jalen Twyman is gone. He didn't play last year, but Rashad Weaver and Patrick Jones did, and they're both gone as well. So you got a lot of shoes to fill on that defensive side. They also lost both their starting safeties, DeMar Hamlin and Paris Ford, regardless of what you thought about those guys as as uh, prospects, NFL yeah. prospects. those That's still um, – and Ford, I think, dipped out midway through through the year or uh, some at some point during the year but still you've got some firepower to replace on that defense that was fairly successful and really the strength of the team so pick it as the veteran starter and I know some people out there like him as a um, you know marginal maybe mid-round NFL prospect I know he's getting talked about on I, I think on both all-star games both shrine and senior bowl so pickett's gonna have to carry more of the load if this team's gonna be better than expected but i mean fourth place in the coastal conference it just yeah it seems about right to me you know and, and Narduzzi, he's uh he's a fine coach i mean if if you want if you don't if you're not really worried about pitt trying to win the acc and it seems like so many of these teams have just given up and said, you know, Clemson's going to win. We'll just do the best we can. And that includes the next team. Uh, and they have a really good coach, uh, too, but that's Virginia. And uh, Bronco Mendenhall's there. He's He's been a very successful coach throughout his career. But the Cavaliers uh, took a big step back from 2019 when they actually won the Coastal Division with senior quarterback Bryce Perkins. Now they yeah, it have feels to. Like, it just feels like they haven't been able to – replace Perkins and you know that's he was a transfer from Arizona State and then I think he went to a small uh, D2 school and then he went there um, Vernon Armstrong is going to get the the, sh- the crack at it but I mean he was he's a returning senior and wasn't great last year I, I, it's, which is probably why Athlon has them finishing you know fifth in, in a bad division and you were correct. Uh, Perkins actually went to Arizona Western in between ASU and, and Virginia. Armstrong, he was third in the ACC in total yards per game last year. So he seems like a player on the rise. And that's definitely they need him to be because. Um, but, I mean, that's where I struggle is like a player on the rise as a, a – a senior, like, like he would, ex- <laughs> like that just makes it tough. They've got a couple draft eligible guys. Um, well, don't forget, that, you know, he could be a super senior next year. All these guys got extra right, eligibility. Exactly. Um, this is the guy Athlon actually picks as their as their breakout candidate for Virginia. So we won't talk about him when we talk about our breakout candidates. But Athlon had him earmarked in their college football preview and predictions as uh, as the breakout player from Virginia. So they they actually see something in him maybe that you don't. Um, I personally don't have a, a take on him yet. So uh, I just, I just kind of think that they're far removed from where they were when certainly when Perkins was there. Uh, he had, he put a spark in the team. Mendenhall, another guy, Good coach, just might be hard to recruit to Virginia these days. Jeff Collins and Georgia Tech still trying to undo the Paul Johnson era. Uh, Collins had two years at Temple, and he's now in year three as the Georgia Tech head coach. Uh, I guess this is what happens when you – hire a guy that went 15 and 10 overall at temple and you're like well he'll turn this around right 
Uh, he's six and sixteen at Virginia Tech. Georgia uh, Tech. Georgia Tech. Sorry. Uh, three and nine. 2019. Three and seven in 2020. I get it. It it's a lot of work. Time is needed to get out of the triple option system, but it how I mean, what's the rope for this guy? I mean, are he if they go four and eight this year, are they really gonna? Are Georgia Tech fans really gonna be okay with a coach that's ten and twenty four in his first three years or first four years? Excuse me. Oh, so no, this would be his third year. Sorry. Yeah. So I don't think fans will like that, but it's really the important thing this year is the development they see out of the quarterback Jeff Sims and the running back Jameer Gibbs. Those two guys are are players who a lot of people think can become stars in college football, and they're both sophomores. So if you see Jeff Sims, Jameer Gibbs take a good step forward in their development. And Georgia Tech is losing games for other reasons, reasons outside of, of the play of their offense behind those two guys. Then I think you will start to think there's some promise with this team because these guys are very highly touted by a lot of uh, analysts out there. So I think we've got to give Collins an, an opportunity. Like you said, don't just turn around a triple option offense into – you know, more of a spread offense or more of a, of a typical offense as to what we see in other college programs doesn't happen overnight. He feels like, and a lot of analysts agree, these two players are the guys to, to kind of dig them out of that and get them on the right track. The thing is, when you have the triple option, if you can execute it very well and if you can recruit the players, you are giving fits to teams that you play against because you're giving them a wrinkle that they don't see week in and week out. So I know that it's been talked about a lot um, on Twitter, but why don't more teams in college, why don't more coaches try and, and uh, incorporate that and cause problems and try and, and win more games that way? We see service academies do it, and we know that they're not recruiting NFL. Largely, they're not recruiting NFL caliber recruits. But you see that every once in a while, Navy and Army, and back in the day, Georgia Tech would be able to operate these triple option offenses to give teams a fit and pull off some upsets and occasionally have a double-digit win year. It seems to me that might be a strategy worth employing when instead of just trying to recruit the same guys that are almost surely going to go to Clemson or North Carolina – or another big program in another conference. So I'm not sure the move for Georgia Tech was to actually go away from the triple option. That's the path they chose to take. Gibbs and Sims are the guys to watch. If they get better, Collins gets a longer leash and more of a chance. Finally, Duke, the basketball school that's now, who knows what they're going to be once Coach K retires there. Because a football school, they are not. Uh They've struggled the last two seasons under David Cutcliffe, who's in the year... Uh, I think 13? he's at 14. Yeah, 14. Yeah. yeah, going into his 14th year as the is Duke Cut, head coach. Is Cutcliffe the Pat Fitzgerald of the ACC? I mean, I, I would say Actually, yes. Fitzgerald if, has made the championship game in his conference a couple times. Right, that's what I was going to say. I would say yes if... Uh, Cutcliffe had won more games, but I mean, 74 and 88, they have finished in the top 25 one time in his tenure. Um, and that was it when they lost the Chick fil A Bowl in 2013. So it, it's. I don't want to be too tough on a guy because Duke is not a football school by any means, and it's, no, it's not. But, but you would expect how much? How much of this guy's? Uh, how much leeway does he get just because he's affiliated with Peyton Manning? Right. Well, and and that's what I was going to say. So, since their second place finish in 2014, Duke has finished fourth, sixth, 
fourth, sixth, sixth. And then last year when there was no breakdown of divisions, they finished 14th out of 15 teams. Meaning, Syracuse saved them. Yeah, meaning they're <laughs> awful. Um, so, th- again, those two sixth-place finishes the years before meant they were six out of seven in their division. In their, yeah. Uh, so it's tough to make an excuse for them. It's tough to continue to watch uh, a Duke program flounder and then, ex- you know, allow Cutcliffe to continue in year 14, especially when the offense is seemingly taking steps back. Um, you know, like you said, he gets the Manning boost and then their offense is terrible. Um, you know, that'll be what to watch. They're bringing back Gunnar Holmberg as their quarterback. They have an interesting That's a name. Run- That's a good quarterback name. <laughs> Gunnar Holmberg. They have an interesting running back in Mateo Durant. Right. Um, and then a, a wide receiver that's going to, you know, maybe turn some heads in Jake Bobo. But they're, they're, they lost their top two pass rushers, so they're going to have a lot to, of work to do on defense that was not a great defense anyways in 2020. I, I, I would think Duke would be so much easier to recruit. It's a, it's a beautiful campus. Um I think maybe they just have their academic requirements maybe are, are too strenuous. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like Stanford, and I, I mean, we've seen kind of Stanford do the same thing mm-hmm. uh, there now. You know, because uh, who who's the coach there? David Shaw. Right. You know, he hasn't had the same success as he did after right after uh, John Harbaugh left, and so. You look at it, and it's, again, similar. I wouldn't say it's the same, but it's similar. And, you know, and he gets the same type of pass because it is harder to recruit there. It's harder. So we'll see. I mean, but the difference, again, is Shaw has won um, five Pac-12 North titles and three Pac-12 titles in his career. Um, Cutcliffe hasn't won a single ACC title. So that makes yeah. it hard. Yeah, I think I was unfair to Pat Fitz, Fitzgerald now that you, now that we talk it through. Um because you know, this is a it's it's not fair to compare Cutcliffe to these guys that get to their conference uh championship games. It's just not it's not fair to do that. So I think Cutcliffe he has been given um his repu- reputation exceeds his his actual performance on the job i I think there's no way around that um i'm sure he's excellent at working with quarterbacks but there is some like there really is no reason to me that at 14 years in duke football should look like this um i don't know maybe i'm overlooking some other factors but that's the acc we're going to be forced to do the pac 12 next week I guess so we can at least get through the power five before football season starts. Um, <laughs> it's going to be tough to talk about the pac 12 because their season last year was such junk, but we're going to do it anyway. And cause we want to talk about 2021. We don't want to talk about 2020 anymore too much, but we'll, uh, we'll do pac 12 next week and I'll still be on the road, but I'll be back. I'll still be here in uh, beautiful, sunny and extremely hot Florida when we do that. We've got one hot take. It's a food take. And it's from a guy who, much like PFF, seems to exist on Twitter to supply us with bad takes. And that's Mr. Dan Orlovsky. You might remember him from running out of the back of the end zone during a live play. Uh, Unintentionally. He said... uh, Nachos are greater than buffalo wings. And then he qualified that statement by saying, Just give me chicken, not chili on top. Has to have shredded lettuce. Sour cream is nasty. None of that. Evenly spread melted cheese. A lot of qualifiers on that nachos over buffalo wings take. And then uh, Mina Kimes, I thought, was 
good with the reply. She said, so nachos, but with none of the things that make nachos good. And that's kind of where, where I stood on that take. Uh, generally speaking, a bad take and par for the course with Dan of late. Yeah, I mean, anytime you want to bring a an eight year old to lunch with you, just bring Dan Orlovsky. So. <laughs> I love nachos. Don't get me wrong, but that that's uh, plain what like chick plain chicken nachos with lettuce and uh, over wings. I'm sorry, but that's just not a, a good take. That's that is something like I have uh, two kids. They are three and and five, and. Plain nachos with chicken and cheese, that would probably be something they would eat. <laughs> and they have just completely unsophisticated palates. They they have no idea what is good. I mean, the only, you know, kids, as you know, Seth, the only thing kids like is chicken fingers and cheese pizza. And you have to really bribe them or force them to eat healthy things. And I would not have to force my kids to eat plain chicken nachos with cheese maybe the lettuce <laughs> they'd probably pick off the lettuce right exactly so that'll be it from us this week we are going to be back next week talking pack 12 hesitantly talking grudgingly pack 12. yeah <laughs> um but if you want to hear what we have to say about our sleeper picks make sure you subscribe to our patreon account uh we've been dropping three names a week each there so six names total and each of us have one prospect of the week to kind of get to know that we do an in-depth dive in on um this week again it'll be the acc and i mean let's be honest how many times do you get prospects from uh boston college uh wake forest and bad uh florida state and nc state teams that you're going to get to listen about so make sure you subscribe to our patreon (laughs) if you if you don't subscribe that's okay make sure you uh like us on whatever podcast uh platform you listen to us on give us a five-star rating review that helps us out as well we appreciate you guys listening we'll be back next week with the pack 12 but enjoy your week and enjoy the acc preview What do you guys think for the outro for now? Um, I mean, I don't know yet. We pro- we might be able to record something. We can for now we could do um